0: My ex partner got a job in Newcastle. It was about seven years ago. So we moved together. That's how it all started.
1: Where were you before?
0: In Russia. Is that well. where you're from? Yeah.
1: And you were cooking over there as well? No. Oh, really? No, no. So what were you doing there?
0: Well, I just finished my university degree and I was engineer manager in quality control. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I'm an engineer. Never really wanted to just exactly do that thing but I really like the principles of the quality control sort of things but I just got a job like a student does like in a travel agency and then he got that job offer and we decided yeah let's move to UK never really wanted to always liked the country and we just visited it a few months before and I loved it even more than I ever thought I would but obviously living in the country is totally a different thing and it wasn't really easy to adapt it
1: in terms of culture
0: you know in culture it was pretty simple for me because i always liked british music and uh, all that sort of british cultural background and my dad was very much into it all that english football so nothing was a problem in that area but it was more about me trying to find what i really want to do and there was nothing so i was struggling from not being able to speak to people because my English was almost non-existent. So I was able to speak. But you know, Newcastle probably not the best area to actually move to UK. When you,
1: you don't yeah, really don't understand what they want to talk to you about.
0: You can ask, but will you understand anything? Yeah, that was one problem. And then the other one was that I just didn't know what I wanted to do in life. So the first couple of years I spent doing nothing. Thinking, maybe it's alright just to do nothing. Be some sort of housewife, whatever. Which still can be a big, hard job, but it just wasn't for me. Right. I needed something to put myself in Yeah,
1: active person. Yeah. Was it something then that you enjoyed food? And so, did,
0: Well, I think that was coming from my Russian background, because it's very normal when a woman hardly... hard. Uh, see, I'm still learning English. <laughs> you work really hard, but you still look after all your family, and they all fed, and they all like, wearing clean clothes and stuff. And my mom was always like that, like, crazy working person. She's still, like, more than 50 years old, but she still works till, like, 10 at night. Yet she was always a great example for me that even doing those jobs, she would be able to, like, feed all family and look after everyone. So I always was enjoying the meals we would have all together. So obviously when we moved to UK, and I felt guilty all this time, well, I'm not doing anything, I'm absolutely useless, living in the house. So all I kept doing is like cleaning and cooking. And uh, I think the cooking changed me a little bit in the UK because I can't say that we don't have any ingredients in Russia at the moment. Truly, we do now, and it's a great choice. But at that moment, when I've got that time to actually explore them and I've got the opportunity to go in the shop and buy absolutely anything I could see and probably things that I didn't even know existed, and then I was thinking, oh, how clever is that? and that's how i started cooking and really enjoying it and it was like a whole adventure to actually find the recipe that i like then to translate it in my head and then to go find the ingredients and then
1: you're not it. only are you happen to learn it you're having to learn what the actual literal translation is
0: pretty much yeah
1: was that not a big challenge then or did it come quite easily or was it just because you were so passionate about it
0: I think it made it much easier because I was interested in the end results. So all those translating bits—they were just like some sort of obstacles on the way, which you just come over, and then next time you remember what it is. So then eventually, it just became easier.
1: Hi, it's Paul from the Past Podcast. Series 2 is sponsored by Welcome to Leeds A new city platform showcasing, supporting and celebrating World class events and organisations And all the various people in Leeds Just like the people that I'm meeting as a part of our new podcast series Available exclusively through the Welcome to Leeds food channel Check it out at www.welcometoleeds.co.uk My guest today on the past podcast is Maria Guseva from the incredible Raby Hunt just near Summer House in Darlington. As somebody who's coming new into food, and you're saying you've basically kind of taught yourself, how do you think about food? How do you think about a dish? And
0: Well, normally I try to think about what I personally enjoy eating rather than using some sort of random exotic ingredients. But I don't really create dishes, mostly. I think about chocolates. (laughs) And then again, it's very interesting because I don't have that much of a sweet tooth. Right. not really a sugar-eating person. And when I think about chocolates, I'm really thinking that I'm going to enjoy it eating myself many, many times because every time I'll be doing them, every time I need to test them.
1: Right. So that's obviously something very recently that you and James tried out. Where did that idea come from?
0: It starts back many years ago when I actually started to be interested in this industry. It is actually developed from the Instagram era when it just appeared as an app. And I used to spend all my free time looking at the pictures of the desserts. And that is basically was my first passion, like food related, you know. I was looking at the desserts, uh, following pastry chefs, looking how much they're progressing over the years, where they go study and things like that. And I always wanted to learn the dessert side of the kitchen. But when it came to the moment to go to the culinary school, I sort of chickened out and I thought, well, I'm only going for a basic level. How much am I gonna learn in pastry just like in three months time? And I thought it won't be enough. So I decided I'll go cuisine sort of way and it will be safety enough and I'll find the job and then maybe I'll do the transition into pastry world which I don't really regret that that happened that way because I still ended up doing what I like. But at the first, it wasn't easy and it wasn't anything related to the desserts. But when I came to the right behind, the pastry chef position obviously was taken and I didn't have any knowledge in that area. So I didn't really have a chance to express myself into it. So I just found my way around it and started making <laughs> chocolates about well, nearly two years ago, a little bit less than two years. And then they looked horrendous. You can still find the pictures because I think... When we came up with this skull idea, because James really liked molded chocolates, this skull looked alright, but then the other ones that I tried to do like hand deep hand-cut, they were horrendous. <laughs> you can still see the pictures and thinking, wow, that was horrible.
1: Basically what happened is you created with James these chocolates. So some of those are the ones that I probably had on the menu, yeah. and then you sold them in Phoenix in Newcastle. Yeah. How did it go down?
0: Well, they went down very well. We were meant to supply enough chocolates for four weeks, but because we were meant to be closed for a month as well, we wouldn't be able to be here on a call in case they would run out of them. So we decided we're going to produce certain amount and give it to them, and hopefully we'll cover the four weeks. And then it turned out that they've been sold out less than in two weeks,
1: Right. which is good
0: for us and good for them. Wow. But then in the end, we decided not to carry on that practice on constant base because it sort of takes away wow factor from the restaurant. Yeah. It is a part of the menu. It's not just like hundreds of fours that you get in the end and forget about them. Mm-hmm. But it is something that James puts himself into, like that skull thing yeah. it has some meaning. So we decided that we keep it in the house, maybe sell them from the website. But with Phoenix, we might continue doing some pop-ups here and there because the response was really good.
1: I guess it's nice because it gets your name out there and gets people to know about James and yourself and yeah. the restaurant. But like you say, it is a very special part of that meal. So it's finding that middle ground, isn't it?
0: Yeah. We thought about it that it's quite interesting. I don't think any chefs in the UK, like Mission Star chefs, ever launched their own chocolate line. James keeps saying about that as well. Because it does take at least one whole person dedication and time to do that, even just for the restaurant for the menu.
1: Well, yeah, and yeah. the other thing as well, which I guess I'm interested in, you talking about your background in engineering precision. It does strike me that that's something that they talk about with chocolates. It's you know precise temperatures for tempering it, and is that why it interests you? Do you think?
0: Well, actually, I think it's more like overcoming myself. I'm organized person, but I'm so impatient. But I do think that when you make your own flows working for you, like that impatient thing, it just doesn't work for the pastry or chocolate. You just got to wait. You need to wait for ganache to set or for the molds to set or for the chocolate to go up and down in temperatures. There's just no way to skip anything. So in some way, it is every day of overcoming myself. <laughs>
1: That's a nice way of seeing it. I guess it's something that you can keep evolving and you can add different yeah, chocolates. Definitely. And So, I mean, the ones I had, I think, were the skull, which is kind of quite synonymous with here, and then the Buddha. But what were the other flavors that you put into Fenix?
0: In Fenix, we had Szechuan pepper and raspberry, a black truffle caramel bar, and then we had individual chocolate, black truffle caramel, and hazelnut crunch in it. Then we had Earl Grey and Bergamot, which is funny. When I started making that, it just worked in my head so well because it is what it is Earl Grey it tastes of Bergamot. So you just need to put the acidity in it and make it like all balanced out. And James was so critical and said, "No, it's not going to work." And he tried the first one. I said, "You just wait, I'll make it stronger." And then in the end, he actually said that it was one of the best ones. So we had Buddha and Scalp with the classic flavors as well. I think it was eight in total, and the Tropical Bar, which is actually on the menu now in Malt, Right. Okay. which is mango and passion fruit chocolate. Nice.
1: Bar. So it's quite light, especially well, is, we're on yeah. a nice sunny day here, yeah. so... Moving into <laughs> summer, final. <laughs> is that something that's a bit mm-hmm. different, I guess, from home seasons, weather, English weather? Or is it quite different?
0: Well, we just try to, you know, have them with appropriate flavours. You wouldn't want to have rosemary and yuzu now, which we still have on the menu, but I'm intending to change it because it is a big chocolate and you did have a whole meal just about, you don't want to have something heavy as that. And it's probably wintry flavor anyway, but that's why we changed Buddha first because it was quite nutty, crunchy, now it's really light and refreshing, so the skull is next.
1: What would you say the biggest thing or the most important thing that you've learned so far in becoming, you know, from someone that goes self-taught to then, you know, you do this day in, day out?
0: I think I learned that thing in Japan quite recently because in my head they were all about tradition, not changing things, doing everything certain ways and being very restricted. In reality, I've met so many different chefs in there and each and every single one of them used to tell me, so, I'm gonna teach you doing some things this way. But there's always will be another chef, and they always will be showing you different ways, and it's good. So, they're just so not arrogant about things they know or they don't know, and open minded about learning. So, I think that's the main thing I've got from there. And it, it was actually in Japan when I realized that the chocolate is something I want to continue doing because I managed to go to the master class of Ramon Morata. He is a creative director of Barry at the moment, as far as I know, in Europe. And I always had his book about chocolate, and I thought, wow, never going to see him in my life. And then here I am in Tokyo, and he's giving his masterclass, and I managed to get in there. And the masterclass wasn't really about chocolate mostly. It was like chocolate cakes, chocolate desserts, chocolate benfrements and stuff. And there was a tiny bit about chocolate. And that was the moment that I also realized there is quite undeveloped area At the same time, it's fairly new and they're still discovering new ways of infusing the whole chocolate rather than just cocoa butter as we used to do. There's just so many things to learn still.
1: When we were introduced at the end of our meal to you guys, James was kind enough to bring us around your then tiny little kitchen. He actually said to me, I think you'd more or less just come back from Japan. Yeah, I think it was just a couple of weeks. So how did that trip come about?
0: Well, it came about last year because I felt like I wasn't evolving in the restaurant simply because we were always so short-stuffed in that tiny little kitchen. So James obviously was restricted in his own way because the kitchen wasn't equipped enough. We literally used to have the oven where only him and me and maybe another person would know how to change the temperature because the handle would have been gone for ages. And then last year actually the fans has gone broken as well. It's so hard to believe that he achieved two stars in that tiny little kitchen with no equipment at all. And then I was restricted in another way because obviously he needed me to do certain jobs that probably for my future wasn't really necessary or useful. But then at the same time I could let him down. So the only way for me was just to actually get out of here and try to learn something else. And then the other reason was because I've been here for nearly three years by the time I went to Japan. And I just thought I'm stagnating here in the comfort zone because it is comfortable working with nice people in nice, even tiny little environment. So I just thought I need to do that. If I won't do it now, I probably won't have any other opportunity. But at the same time, I never thought I'll get accepted anyway. (laughs) But and it was amazing.
1: You must be somebody who's quite easy to adapt to different cultures, because it strikes me, you know, coming over here, you didn't speak English. I can't imagine you spoke any Japanese before you went out to Japan. No, So, are you a bit of a chameleon then? Are you someone who can adapt quite quickly?
0: I think it comes with the time you start traveling around the world. Once you start doing that, you become more open-minded about things. There's plenty of people that get used to doing things the same way, living in the same country, not accepting any different countries or cultures. I have grandma like that. It's horrible. Every time I <laughs> call her, she just tells me, why are you there? Just come back. It's better in here. But I really like your grandma, and I've been here for seven years now, so surely I know. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Just come back. But she never left the country. So she just doesn't know. Yeah. She's very much against it. But as soon as I started traveling, and obviously, as you said, first experience in the UK... I did cry the first couple of months, and I kept saying, nobody wants us here, we need to go back to Russia, my mom, I miss her so much. But then it all was gone. You sort of get through the adaptation period. And I think the most important thing is actually find your place in the country, actually work and do something you enjoy doing. And I think that changes a lot. Mm. So it was the same with Japan, really, because it was something I was enjoying doing. There were people from different countries doing the same thing, and we all were learning something new. So it wasn't that hard. It was, but it wasn't.
1: <laughs> what I'm going to ask you to do now is rack your brain and think about a dish that means something to you that we can talk about for your first dish on your menu.
0: Well, when I thought about this concept of choosing a few favourite dishes, I decided that it's just going to be desserts, even though, again, it is funny enough that I don't have a sweet tooth, but if I do have a good dessert in the restaurant, i always remember, because there's quite a few places in the UK who struggle with desserts, like the whole menu would be flawless but the desserts, just on the weak side. And the same with Europe, maybe not France. Obviously, they have really strong pastry school behind them. But even in Japan, I went to a French restaurant, Michel Trogros, and the best course was the desserts. <laughs> and then I started thinking, why do I pay so much attention to desserts? Beside the part that I actually always wanted to do the desserts. But I think my first Mission Star experience was In May's Gordon Ramsay restaurant, which I had no idea about tasting menus by then. And in fact, I thought, wow, this is a very cheap menu. You just choose three courses and it's like, what, under thirty pounds? Little did I know. (laughs) But anyway, uh, it was an experience with my mom. She came visit me in the UK and then we went there and we had that lemon tart with a bit of, you know, showtime with all that dry ice coming out of the thing with the lemon smell. And it was like simple as it is. But it still was so good, and I still remember that. So I think since that moment, I still try to memorise the desserts whenever I go, if they're good enough.
1: So again, you must be somebody who you kind of taught yourself how to cook, and then you started all of a sudden, and I see you, you know, recently you went to Spain and things like that, yeah. and you're eating out now you know, as a hobby. Is that something that you enjoy as food as much your hobby as it is your job? Or?
0: It is. Sometimes it gets quite hard as well. Because when you go to the restaurant, in some way, you just want to enjoy it. Because I truly enjoy the whole experience when you sort of have to dress up, go out, you anticipating something good happening to you, having a nice company as well, and then having the first glass of champagne, and then the actual meal happening. So that's one side, the things that I enjoy. But then you sort of have to keep yourself with an active mind, analyzing what you're eating is it good do you like it how do they make it what's the technique behind it <laughs> and is it's that a, just it's you <laughs> honestly it came from james because he was always like that and when i actually started here and we all kitchen staff went out for a meal first time i was the only one who actually enjoyed it because all of them were just like sitting there thinking oh this wasn't good enough this was what could we change what could we use for our restaurants all of that things happening in their heads and i was like no, no, I've just been enjoying the meal. But since then, obviously, I became exactly the same. So,
1: <laughs> What is it that you're looking for then when you go out and eat? So one of the places that you've been recently that's kind of like next on my list yeah. is Azamendi. Yeah. So when you're somewhere like that, what are you looking for?
0: Well, you're looking for a good experience. It's always where it is. You're just looking for a place to enjoy good food and to have some exceptional ingredients. But realistically, you end up having that pressure of, going to a place that has three Michelin stars that's quite high in top 50 best rating and then it starts overtaking you as well from actually just answering to yourself did I enjoy that dish or did I not? It can become a bit messy in your head and maybe even after a while you can be honest with yourself actually did you enjoy it or was it not really good?
1: And did you enjoy it?
0: We did, yeah. I think... It's very close to my point of view on the food that they're just using really good ingredients and it's really simple. Nothing overtakes attention from the main thing on the plate, and that was a very good experience.
1: When I booked here, it was one star, and literally, I think it was about two weeks later it was announced that you got your second star and so I was buzzing but one of the things I remember looking at your website is it kind of flashes up and it has this big thing from James that's like saying simplicity and at its heart I do feel like rabie Hunt is very simple flavors very simple things just done at an elevated level yeah would you say that's fair
0: well there's always some technique behind it anyway you know it can be a bold ingredient but Probably only Japanese people can dare and just put it on a plate like that. You still have to do something about it. But it is something that we're probably striving for.
1: What would you say then with this renovation and all that? What's the goal for you guys now?
0: That's a good question because we just keep thinking about it. Basically, we just want to get better because now we have all of that equipment. But yet, three weeks being back into the kitchen, we're still learning how to use it, still learning how to get used to all this space we actually enjoy talking to each other these days because we don 't have to be next to each other like in thirty centimeters distance we like cannot see for for like a few hours each other and then we actually start doing things in the same area with every chef in, in the kitchen obviously it 's just different, very different
1: i 'm going to try my best to paint a little picture of that kitchen that I saw when I came yeah. in. I don't even know how to start. I remember there was a little microwave like ding in the coven that James said nobody had ever used and didn't know how to use and probably you, didn't we, even want. I'll tell you
0: what we used to use it for. We used to... Heat up the milk for the coffees. (laughs) However, when I came back, it reached a new level of being broken because the handle was coming out of it. And everybody kept joking, we're going to get radiated and die of cancer.
1: All (laughs) of us in this kitchen. And like you say then, you've got two people that know how to work an oven. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, you've won two Michelin star. What was the atmosphere like at that time?
0: Well, it's probably best to ask James about it because I obviously was in Japan. I knew he was there and I was in service in Tokyo in a in three-star restaurant, but yet I kept running away to the toilet and checking the Twitter feed and they just took ages to announce all those one-stars. Yeah. And then I thought, well, something must be happening. And then I saw that Robbie Hunt got two stars and it was unbelievable. I was just crying through the oh, service. Oh, bless you.
1: So it was the first time that they'd done it like live a live event yeah. and it was this big ceremony and I was watching it live. And I remember, because there was another one that I was really interested in, it was Forestside in Cumbria, they won a star, yeah. so oh wow, like that's somewhere I'm interested in, that's one a star. Then there was another place that I really wanted to go, called the Crown at Birchett's, yeah. they won a star. I'm like thinking, oh, anywhere I want to go, and then it's like, Raby Hunt, two stars, oh my god, I'm going there, like, <laughs> like And then all of a sudden, James was this like, hot property. Yeah is it something that you still get now so especially again now with the reefer coming back to that you must have you know reporters coming in journalists coming in
0: we did have them many times in the last few weeks obviously since we refurbished the kitchen to be honest with you we've got all of this now but we still didn't really have much time to understand how different there is now and how high the expectations of the customers now coming in they all love it obviously the food is still up the same high standard as it always was even better but it's literally all of that taking in the fact that it is two stars now and that it is bigger kitchen now. And then when you ask me what the goal is, it's just to be better every day.
1: Hi, it's Paul. I'm just going to take a little break to remind you that we're sponsored this year by Welcome to Leeds and to ask you to leave us a little review a five star or even four star but i'd prefer five let's face it review helps other people see us and it helps us grow and it's the best way for others to find out what we're doing this isn't just a little shared secret between you and me i really want to share what these amazing people are doing with the world so leaving us a review helps us do that thank you So you're saying that you're working on the sort of snacks, uh, the starters, the cold starters. Tell me a little bit about those sort of things that you're doing at the minute.
0: Well, that's obviously all James' dishes. The idea is they all require the very last minute, like taking out of the fridge, sending them out at the right temperature and involving a lot of seasoning last minute. And I think in his eyes, he can trust me with it. That's why through the service... I'm doing that side. Right.
1: It definitely isn't Japanese food that you're doing, but James is someone who's quite inspired by Japan, isn't he, and the precision. In a way, yeah. Is that where it comes from then? Or?
0: I think he always had that simplicity idea, but then when I went to Japan, obviously I found some more confirmations that it is a good way forward, and he quite likes it as well. It does like the idea of serving lots of like raw fish snacks, but then one thing is we might struggle with ingredients sometime. Not because they can't supply it, but because they're not used to really high standard demands that James might have. So it's really hard to find like good scallops, but we are likely to have them. But then if he would want to change it onto something else, he would have to do massive research to find someone who can do that for him.
1: We're going to go on now from savoury to sweet. We've got another second sweet course. Have you thought about what your second one is going to be?
0: I'll say... The second one will be sake souffle that I had at that three-star restaurant that I was staging in Tokyo, because the chef was kind enough, and he let me have a meal in there. You know, it is as simple as it gets all the flavors of sake, and they use sake leaves to actually make the souffle itself, and then there's sake ice cream, and then some sort of sake pearls surrounding it. Well, it doesn't get any simpler, but it was amazing. Just a stunning flavor of sake, obviously. Once you've tried it, you know what it tastes like and what to expect. And I am a big fan of souffle. Sometimes all I want is just a souffle, please. (laughs) It's so hard to find a good one.
1: They're actually a culture, and I saw what we were kind of talking a little bit about, and they want to encourage people to come out there and work there. Is it something that you would encourage people to do?
0: Definitely. In fact... Recently, I did help two people to get into that program again, and hopefully they're going to stay there and finish it and learn everything they can. But it is an amazing opportunity, and it is supported by government. So I think it's their way to spread that culture in a more natural way, rather than we have so many adaptations. Well, maybe not in the UK. In UK, we do have quite a few good places in London who do original Japanese food. But then in America, it's so well adapted they probably walked away from the roots.
1: Yeah. And um, what was it like to live out there? I imagine it's a bit crazy.
0: Well, it's strange, but then I keep joking that I lived in Moscow, lived in London for a few months, lived in Tokyo. What's next? Shall I go to New York? <laughs> uh, it's just a megapolis, really. It's a massive place with lots of people. And there can be downsides like distance and places that you need to travel far or if you do. But there's so many things to see that it's. Unbelievable, And it's just Tokyo, never mind the whole Japan and different parts of it. I didn't even manage to go to Kyoto this time. But I always wanted to go to Hokkaido, which is up north, and it's miles away. It's still a place to come back.
1: You know, in a lot of those programs as well, they do give you that little bit of time to go and see. Yeah. Is that something that would have happened, or uh, is it very much, well, if you the, do it, your? The,
0: the terms of this program were that you just choose the restaurant you would like to go for a stage at. And they did have a few of them in Kyoto. But as much as I have massive respect for Kyoto's sort of food culture, it's different to Tokyo. Tokyo is more evolving, modern and upbeating Kyoto's more traditional and mostly all of those restaurants were kaiseki restaurants, which is unbelievable knowledge you can probably get like so precious, but I wouldn't be able to use it once I'm back to UK. just not something I ever wanted. And can you
1: explain what that is a little bit?
0: Kaiseki yeah. Well, that is the most traditional Japanese meal with many, many courses, the tiny little ones, where it's sort of supported by historical background. You don't necessarily have to know all the details, but it would be served on a special plate that would be like 100 years old, and they would have some sort of history behind it. And then there would be the reasons why they decided to put this course on this plate and why it goes in that particular order it's many many things behind it there would be special flower arrangements probably very simple not taking much attention but it would mean something like uh, reflecting the season or something like that it's very deep very cultural and it's great to be able to appreciate that but if i would have gone to the kitchen to work in a place like that i probably would have not spent my time wisely
1: how do you decide what's best and what to pursue
0: Well, I ended up going to that three-star restaurant because they are in top 50 best restaurants in the world. So in my eye, it was one of the reasons that they might be more modern and they might be more world-level restaurant rather than just having that cultural background. Right, And it is what it was because Yamamoto-san, who is a head chef, is just so into things, like improving them every day, learning from other chefs from other countries as well. Obviously, he has lots of friends everywhere. And he's just so highly acclaimed and so many awards behind him. And it was a massive pleasure to work in that kitchen. And it wasn't that entirely Japanese. It was something you could learn and bring back.
1: Well, that's nice. It worked out quite well then. Was it just a case of then you just looked it up and then decided...
0: Well, in a way, James influenced my choice because when we did have the whole list of the restaurants I was going, I did want to go to one restaurant in Kyoto, but he sort of said, maybe for your future, that one will be a better choice. And I agreed with him and it wasn't easy to get in there because I had a competitor, a girl who really wanted to get in there, but she wasn't accepted because she had tattoos and she was smoking and drinking and for them, it's a no-no.
1: Right. Because...
0: Well, first of all, the tattoos in Japan associated with Yakuza still, like uh, mafia, right. Japanese mafia, Yamamoto-san just wants to have clean kitchen. Nobody will be covering them or anything. You just don't have them. Or if you do, you just go somewhere else. So he's very strict on that. And not just his restaurant, many others as well had that sort oh, of restriction. i'm glad
1: i didn't apply then To <laughs> <laughs> covered in tattoos <laughs> some
0: of them would accept people covering them through the working hours
1: right but uh, wow i didn't realize yeah. that again though those are the sorts of things that you must have been learning exactly while you're out there
0: you would you would never, yeah known, you wouldn't really, have wouldn't known even think about that at
1: all no not at all
0: especially in this industry in uk i'd say or even anywhere else in the world it's sort of cool if you have tattoos and you work in the catering. Especially, kitchen, especially really in hard. catering, it
1: seems to be. Yeah, yeah. Because I guess it's like a creative thing, isn't it? And, uh, and again, a lot of chefs are these really creative yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Has James not got any then? No. Oh, okay, then. <laughs> right, that's all right then. And you're not got any, obviously. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell me then about what you thought of for your next dish? What runs to on your third dish now?
0: Well, I'll put another one from Japan and it will get okay. over with Japan. Nice. There was a tropical dessert from Troagro restaurant. They only got two stars in Tokyo but it was just so amazingly light after a meal I've had, and it wasn't overly sweet, but yet you obviously could tell that it was a dessert. It was just a super thin meringue tubes filled up with some passion fruit creme and some passion fruit gel and some pineapple on the plate. It was as simple as it gets, but it was well balanced and it wasn't too sweet, and I still remember it, so it's good enough.
1: <laughs> nice. One of the things we kind of touched on um Azamendi and stuff. But again, I want to go back to, if it's okay, these places that you've been to, maybe you could recommend somewhere that you like to eat.
0: There will be a very honest response. It will be Hedene in London.
1: Yeah, okay. Since
0: I came back from Japan, it was the only place I wanted to go, and still I haven't been there yet. So, yeah, I would totally recommend that. In
1: fact, James recommended there to me. So
0: definitely.
1: And that is Japanese food?
0: No, it's not. But he's very like ingredients oriented right he searches for the best and the depth of his knowledge is out of this world jane probably would recommend the or something like that which is uh, authentic japanese sushi the most expensive and the quickest meal you could have yeah but probably totally worth it yeah
1: he must be a bit of an oracle then for places to go and eat so who's booking the restaurants is it him, him yeah. do you know where he's got next on his list
0: got quite a few places we want to go i keep saying that we need to keep our eyes on the target because you still get carried away and you still end up going to in the places that you probably shouldn't be going and wasting your money on even though you know it's going to be just an average experience so you should just probably stay away and stay home and stay for the next one out
1: what's the process of creating a new dish here does it always come from james or do you guys it get is. an input it,
0: in the end of the day it always comes from james it's his idea by any chance someone has uh, some sort of different idea, he would influence it entirely. So yeah, I think it is the difference from the other restaurants, I would have thought, because he's still in control of all creativity. He would let other people to bring their ideas up, but ultimately in the end it will be his decision what's going on the menu.
1: And is he tough to please?
0: He is, yes. <laughs>
1: He's a man of exacting standards. Yeah. Yeah, I get that impression from him. What's the secret then if you are trying to impress him with a dish that you've made?
0: Well, you're just trying to learn how he thinks and what he likes, and then it becomes a bit easier. But then eventually you just learn yourself if it's good enough or not. You just know it without even asking him.
1: And he expects that of you, I guess. I would have thought so. <laughs> to have that decision. What would you like to achieve in your career
0: I would really like to concentrate on the chocolates and the pastry side of the kitchen. Maybe in the future not necessarily working in a restaurant kitchen, but having something of my own.
1: That would be nice. I yeah. could definitely see it. Again, you going back to talking about what you said with the demand for yeah. it in Fenix, yeah, yeah. I could definitely see you doing something yeah. like that. If you've got a space like this, what sort of thing would you do then? Would you be focusing on the chocolates, or what else is your interests?
0: Well, I'd say I am particularly interested in the whole dessert area, but the knowledge is almost non-existent. So as the next step, the most obvious one, is probably will be me going to learn how to make better chocolates, which I have a few ideas about where to go and who to learn from. Or it will be a stage in a restaurant asking for actually spending time on a pastry section only to improve that side of the kitchen in our restaurant.
1: And is that something you're doing in here then? Are you constantly peering over the pastry section and...
0: Uh, Not At the moment, to be honest with you, we didn't have time for that at all since I came back, and desserts remain practically unchanged. We we did improve a few things, but yeah, coming into summer, it is the next goal to actually improve the desserts or change them entirely.
1: Nice. Tell me about your penultimate dessert on your menu, so your fourth dessert.
0: I think I'm going to go back to Japan again. They have those classic desserts you can buy in any sort of uh, tiny little shop or cafe. It's a shaved ice. It would have enormous amount of fillings in it. Literally what it is, is just thinly shaved ice. And it would look like a big, massive mountain. And there will be lots of things covered in it. And the one I particularly liked, I had it at least twice. It had red bean paste, because they really like to use red beans as a dessert ingredient. I'm trying
1: to imagine that. It's
0: quite nice once, yeah? once it's sweetened, yes. It's okay. a certain type of beans as well. Some whipped cream in the layers and some kinako powder, which is a uh, dried soybean powder. It has that distinctive coffee, nutty, sesame seed flavor in it, and it was just amazing. It sounds heavy, but at the same time, it is just like literal water you're consuming with some sort of toppings. It's so is that like something
1: that you could go and buy in like a shop, or is that like a restaurant well, dish? Well,
0: that was actually in the café from a two-star restaurant, if I'm right. Two or three star restaurants, sort of their side project. And then some days they weren't busy in the morning because it was in a university campus. And you could go there and order the whole ceremony because they're very much into their tea ceremonies as well. So you would get refreshing green tea. Then you get your coffee if you want coffee. Then you would get the tea in the end of the meal as well. And then you would get that dessert and a few traditional Japanese sweets made of rice flour. It's amazing.
1: How did this space come about, then, where we are today? Who started planning it? And
0: It was always James, and technically he designed it all, obviously, with the architect. But I think about a year or a year and a half ago, he never thought that any of these two stars were going to happen. Well, he probably thought that until the very last moment, until they did happen. But uh, realistically, he just thought, I'm so restricted in that kitchen, so there's no chance to move forward in here, any up higher. And it is a tiny little village in the end. But now it's slightly different. It's like a destination restaurant. So you just had to do something about it to give that wow factor for the customers. Not only come the first time, I have the reason for it, but also to come back again. So that was the idea to double the kitchen in size, to get rid of the old bar and obviously have a bigger entrance now.
1: And you guys used to have only two rooms. Now you've got some more rooms upstairs. Is that right?
0: There will be in the future, yeah. Yeah
1: that's amazing and then you literally as well was it just got in the national restaurant awards was it 25th yeah. if it makes you feel any better you are still in my top one this is still <laughs> the best place i've ever eaten so if you're listening to this rapey hunt is yeah. the place for me anyway that i wax lyrical about to pretty much anybody that will listen that,
0: that's great know. well to be honest it is the place i would eat any time any day of the week because I always keep asking every few months, "Can I eat here?" And the last time I think it was actually in January, I had the whole entire menu when we had a slightly quieter night than usual, and it's still amazing, even though you know, you lose that excitement over the dishes because you prep them every single day, and it's totally different for you. But for people who come in here first time, I still remember how I came to eat here first time. And it was mind-blowing
1: i agree (laughs) how service changed and now you've got this much better space is it a less frantic experience
0: definitely yes because everybody just has their own spaces it never was about some sort of technical disabilities you know it's great that we have equipment now but the space affected the services in the past a lot because james was just trapped in that little area in front of the bus with all those checks building up a mountain and then people running around just trying to find a place to actually plate the dish now it's just so much more laid back and relaxed which is still quite intense because he still cares about the quality of the dishes coming out and he tries to keep an eye on absolutely everything and it is harder for him now because he just has to walk around try to catch every single plate leaving the kitchen I don't know if
1: I've mentioned this but it's probably important to know that he's also self-taught so a proportion of the people that are working in here, yourself and James, I don't know what a lot of the rest of the guys in here are like, if they've worked in some big places before, but that's quite incredible, isn't it, really?
0: I think it still surprises him how he managed to come from doing fish and chips with his mom helping him in the kitchen, his dad helping him up in front of house, and then having a sous chef. So there were two of them when they got to one star. And then, like, now having seven people in the kitchen walking into each other sometime and having all this equipment, yeah, in eight years, basically.
1: It's one of the best success stories in the restaurant industry at the minute, for me, anyway. Yeah. It's one of those as well. I kind of feel like, because I've kept in touch with yourself and James and I speak to Lewis, another one of your chefs here, you're all such nice people. You know, I couldn't wish it for anybody else. So I am really, really pleased for you guys. And like I say... People listening to this, I hope, will get your passion and want to come to here because yeah. I definitely think they should. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit then about your last pudding.
0: I had it a couple of years back in Ledbury. It was a very classic dessert. It was a tart with lovage, violets, and strawberry, and it was just fantastically executed. And it was really well balanced, tasty, and again, not oversweet.
1: Ledbury's in London, yeah, and that's another one that is, you know, kind of on the high world yeah. list. Yeah, they
0: are, they are fantastic. Yeah, and they really, I think, in some way, from the old school kitchen generations, they're still working really hard and crazy hours and like sleeping for three hours, working the rest of the time. And I think they're really pushing hard for next level.
1: With the chocolates that you're doing at the minute, how far ahead of schedule are you having to make them? and...
0: Well, I do try to make them fresh. But, you know, in terms of chocolate, fresh is a very strange term to use because they do need some time in the fridge to sort of get ready to let the filling infuse each other and sort of start working together rather than against each other, especially when we're using two different types of filling in it and things like that. And the chocolate becomes better.
1: So is it same day?
0: No, I would give it maybe one or two days in advance.
1: So really, you're one of these people that's always planning ahead of time yeah. for your service, basically.
0: Well, on the other hand, sometimes when you do have opportunity to make enough for the rest of the week, or at least for the next few days, you are free to develop wherever you want to develop. So that's how I spent last month before fenning sales occurred. It's like trying to make thousands of chocolates in a week's time, and then the week before I was trying to make enough chocolates for the restaurant. Yeah. and.
1: Let's say you come up with this idea for a chocolate and you practice it and then you kind of effectively mastered it. Is there a point in your head that say, okay, this is good enough to present to James to see if it will go on the menu? What's the sort of tipping point to say, right, that's good enough now?
0: Well, I normally try it and then I know myself try well. I still would give it to him to try it because it's, sometimes it's hard to evaluate your own work because you did put yourself into it, but still it might be a thought of doubt in your head. But like that earl grey chocolate I was talking about before, it was good and it worked in my head and eventually I managed to make it good enough for James. But then once we came back from politics, I thought, well, maybe I can put some texture in it and improve it somehow. And I started experimenting with poppy seeds, in and something else, something else. And then in the end of the day, I just had to tell myself, stop because you're not taking it anywhere any better. It is as good as it is. Leave it alone. <laughs> so things like that happen.
1: And again, less is more
0: yeah
1: exactly so you've gone through some memory stay, you thought about yeah. your time in japan do you think there's one of the five puddings that is your favorite
0: well i think the favorite will be is shaved ice because it's <laughs> something i would definitely have right now it's 27 degrees yeah. outside i would have three of them on yeah campus. do
1: you know what if you could <laughs> swing me a portion
0: <laughs> maybe we'll buy a nice shaver <laughs> next time for
1: you <laughs> that'll be good to yeah. so wrap up each episode I normally sort of wax lyrical a little bit about my guests, but I've kind of done that as I go along. But I did want to thank you for freeing up your time today. This is your day off and you've kindly come into the restaurant to show me around and do the interview. So thank you so much. That's and I really look forward to you know, seeing what happens with you and I'm definitely going to be following your career and when you've got your own little bakery or patisserie or whatever it One is, day. I'm going like,
0: yeah,
1: to be head of the queue. Thank, so you, very much thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for listening to The Past Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe and follow me at Paul Newb on Twitter for updates on the next podcast. If you can, I'd really appreciate a nice review. Just leave a few words and it helps other people find us. The Past Podcast is edited and mixed by Adam Linder from Bespoken Podcasting. Craig Fields from Ambient Light provides technical support. With thanks to Ruby Chow for booking support.